Hello, welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today's show, I have Abraham Okasoya of Timeline. Timeline is a online platform that allows people to stress test the decumulation phase of their life and allows them to come up with a decumulation plan that is dealing with one of the most difficult issues in financial planning, decumulation. And with that, here's my interview with Abraham. Abraham, thanks for taking the time. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. So Abraham Okasoya of Timeline. Tell us about Timeline. Yeah, thank you very much, Jason. Uh, Timeline is the next-gen retirement income platform. We help financial planners and and enterprises apply extensive data and and rigor to create elegantly simple withdrawal strategies for their clients. Ultimately, our mission is to create retirement income plans where the the money outlives the people. Excellent. So this is not something to be underestimated. This is the, so sometimes this is taken for granted by people who don't understand it. But, you know, Bill Sharp himself, the Nobel Prize winner said is the nastiest, hardest problem of retirement finance. And it's when you think about it, it's true. I mean, the reality is you're trying to project out a timeline that is going to be multiple decades long when the variables for return are variables. They're not constants. And the endpoint is a variable as well. So you have all these conflicting things and then your consumption as well is a variable. So like you have no certainty, quite honest, none. There is no certainty in any of the variables and trying to make sure that you do this with a high degree of success can be incredibly difficult. And most financial planning softwares have already embedded some sort of stress test, like a Monte Carlo analysis. We'll come back to that later. But before we do, let's talk about the origin of Timeline. What was your journey prior to this and what inspired you to start this company? Thank you very much. I spent the last decade or so in financial services as a consultant to financial advisors and brokerage platforms out there. And I came to a very simple realization that the way we do retirement income planning sucks. It's really (laughs) bad. You know, I think you alluded to some of the problems that we we are facing. We, We are at a crucial point now that there was a recent research by the World Economic Forum, and they looked at retirement savings across developed countries, including the US, including Canada, the UK, Japan, Australia. And they came to this simple um, conclusion that a typical person who is approaching retirement today is on track to run out of money 10 years before their average life expectancy, right? So Uh, that's just the average life expectancy. Let's not think and talk about people who live longer than that, because, you know, as you know- Let's also take a minute here. Let's also take one minute and define average life expectancy, because this is the thing, right? So life expectancy, a lot of people have really no idea what this is. They hear life expectancy and they think, I'm supposed to live to that age. That is a median point. That is an average. And I got into a debate with a client once who said, well, you know, life expectancy is only X. I'm like, yeah, but your probability of living beyond that's 50% because that's only an average. And like, well, that's your opinion. I'm like, no, that's not my opinion. That's the definition of it. And I'll look it up for you. And, you know, we had a debate about this. Well, I can't see I'm going to live beyond that. Like, it's like, look, here's the stats. Here's the chart, right? So when we kind of create, we kind of create, create the illusion of a deterministic outcome yes. for life expectancy. Yes. So it's important to remember that that's not the case. Continue, please. No, I think, I think that's it. That's, that's it. Brilliant point. The way I like to explain it to people is that if you put a hundred 65-year-olds in the room, 50 of them would die before that life expectancy that you're, you're talking about. The other 50 will live longer than that and some much, much longer than that. So you're absolutely right. And I think that drives home one of the core challenges and problems that we have 
with traditional financial planning tool in the sense that they are not modeling reality. They approach probabilistic problems in a deterministic way. If you think about the key challenges or the in key inputs of a decumulation plan, that being the return, the longevity, mm -hmm. and inflation, none of these things exist in the straight line, um, simple way that traditional financial planning tools illustrate. And so we saw an opportunity there to bring timeline to the marketplace to help address this problem. And the other thing is that it's not like retirement income planning or decumulation, as is known, is a virgin field without extensive research and rigor. But until timeline came on, on, on the scene just over th three years ago, we saw this huge gap between what the research and the evidence and the data says about how we should be thinking about decumulation plans and what financial planning tools actually do. And so timeline was, was created to plug that gap. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, uh, first off, I mean, one of the things I always coach people on when I'm coaching about how to do financial planning is the need for stress testing. And part of that involves a Monte Carlo analysis, because that to date has been pretty much the benchmark for what we use in terms of stochastic modeling. At least it's what everybody understands. And I'll, I'll uh, Michael Kitsis loves to share the old Keynes quote of I'd rather be vaguely right than uh, precisely wrong. And that's exactly what one of the reasons like, because I, I have the biggest problem with these plans when people present a plan, it's just a straight line and no example or, or demonstration that this is a probabilistic outcome and that there's a range of expectations. We're just, we're selling, you know, all financial plans are basically wrong the day that they're minted because it's a snapshot in time and we can't tell the future. We're making educated guesses. If you're trying to say that your educated guess is a straight line, that is a really, really bad statement to make. So I would rather show outcomes. So let's talk about specifically how timeline solves for this problem. So you haven't built a full financial planning suite. You built one that's specifically narrowly focused on one true value proposition, which is a very smart move, by the way, because there's a lot of competition in the robust section. Tell me about how, like, what, what are the inputs? What am I giving you? And what are the outputs? What are you giving me in return in order to solve this problem? That's a brilliant question. So, so in terms of the input, of course, we want to know the basic details of the client. So that includes their current age, their marital relation, you know, their marital status or relationship status. We need some basic information about the client. Then we need some information about their what we would call retirement resources. That might be their you know, retirement portfolios, other income sources in retirement, such as social security that they might they might have. I know you guys in Canada call it a different name, but these pensions, these sort of resources and assets that they have in, in retirement. And the uniqueness of timeline is that rather than just going straight to Monte Carlo simulations, we actually take a little bit of a step back. We think about the client's longevity. So we give the advisor an indication of the longevity risk that the client is confronting. And the way we do that is to look at the survival probability for that client and to say, as a starting point, don't plan for the life expectancy, let's attack the tail end of the longevity risk to start with, which we define roughly about the age that the, the client has 
a one in 10 chances of surviving, right? So we start the planning there. The second thing is that then when it comes to, well, how do we model the investment side of things? Well, what we do in Timeline, Timeline has 120 years of capital market data. And we have that data for, frankly, some 40 different asset classes, including Canadian equities, US equities, global equities, UK equities, Mm. bonds, other asset classes we have monthly, discrete monthly data for Mm -hmm. 120 years of capital market data. And what that means is that you tell us your portfolio, we match that portfolio to the right asset classes, and then we say, right, assuming that you have this portfolio, let's run rolling periods for over the last 20 years. So let's say you have a 32-year retirement to go based on this longevity risk. We run every rolling 32-year period that we've seen using monthly data over the last 120 years. And what that would allow us to do is to stress test your financial plan through real-life events. We're not talking about a hypothetical scenario. We're talking about, well, what if you started your retirement on the eve of the Great Depression? What was that journey like? It would be very different if you started bang in the middle of the Great Depression. It would be very different if you started at the start, you began your 32-year period at the start of World War One or World War II or HN, HN, is the H1N1 flu pandemic. We test all of these scenarios. We will literally test hundreds of, hundreds of scenarios and we will then give you an indication of the likelihood or the probability of success and we can unpack what the, you know, the success rate or probability of success means and how we think planners should be using this. But the underlining point is that we give you a metric, a reassurance of whether your plan, what you want to do, is likely to, to be successful. And there are all sorts of indications that we give, including what, what the sustainable withdrawal rates would look like you know, from your overall plan. And what we do is not just to look at your portfolio in isolation, we take into account all the other stuff that you've got going on as well. Excellent. So, I mean, first off, you're, you're basically taking the position that, hey, if this never worked at any point in history, the odds of it working ever again are pretty slim. And that's... <laughs> That's that's not a bad place to start, quite honestly. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you you can the, the thing so so we have you can move on if you want. If that level of assurance is not enough for you, we, we think mm-hmm. it should be, but if it's not enough to, for you, then you can go on to Monte Carlo simulations and plug in your own expected return yeah. and answer. And, but the thing, the problem I say, the challenge I say with Monte Carlo simulation is that just before you need to be able to compare your expectation with reality, right? So we start right. by giving you that real picture based on empirical data says, and then you can compare and contrast with your own expectation of return. I like to say, just because you expect any given level of return from the capital market doesn't oblige the capital market to deliver it. And if anything, just the year that we've had, the last year shows is that the capital market is pretty adept at delivering unexpected returns. So the beauty of timeline is you can contrast your own expectation of return in a Monte Carlo simulation with 
the reality with the weight of historical evidence over the last yeah. century or so. I think it's interesting. The historical, I think Monte Carlo doesn't have the same problem historical evidence does because historical evidence, people almost look at it as, as, as proof that's going to happen in the future. Whereas Monte Carlo, we know it's assumptions, right? Uh, this is one of my big issues with sustainable withdrawal rates is like, they're sustainable today, but what are they? Are they sustainable tomorrow? And you know, you know, as I always say, the four percent rule is not a rule. It is an observation. It's the four percent observation, and to, to to actually make a strategic decision based off that observation is the law of gravity is a law because it's an observed law, and we know it's going to work. The four percent rule is not a law; it's an observation. So let's stop treating it like it's like it is what it is. And most more often than not, the people who claim that it works are the ones who haven't even read the paper. So let's not even go there. So you've done that first, but then you also we also just don't look at this deterministically as one line. You also put in various spending rules to adjust based off of what actually happens. Can you talk to me about what those are? Yes, Jason. Thank you. And you can see I'm I'm really excited about this. I think that Bill Bengen who is the original inventor, let's call it, of the so-called 4% rule, is a genius in my book. And Bill, I've met Bill, I've talked to him, um, you know, we've had a had conversation on several occasions, and Bill will tell you, will be the first to admit that A, the 4% rule, in quotes, was never designed to be this, it's almost like the industry has made it the Newton's fourth law of motion, right? It wasn't yes, designed. Yes, exactly. That's that best thing. This is the worst part, right? It's it's an academic or a researcher will create something that a marketing department will run rampant with, right? I have right. this same thing right now. I have the same problem going on right now with all the uh, advisor gamma reports and everything else. This is fantastic. Let's track this exactly. And let's put this on the statements to show that. I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on a sec. This is so situationally dependent upon what the client came in with and what happens year to year. And how long do you take credit for a decision made 10 years ago? Like, it's driving me nuts. And again, never, never. Never fail to never fail to underestimate how a marketer can twist and pervert something that was never meant to be a rule. So uh, I, don't blame, never, record, I don't blame banking on it. I don't blame no, it on banking. Yeah. I blame it on the industry. <laughs> uh, absolutely. And you know, he would be the first to, to, to acknowledge that. But I think Bengen gave us a seed, right? And what what is often not talked about is the kind of the additional body of research that I've gone into expanding that framework, he called it sustainable withdrawal rate framework, you know, and there has been several additions to that body of work by people like Jonathan Guyton, who created a dynamic spending rule. It's just one of those rules. Bengen himself created another dynamic spending rule. And the idea is, let's say you start retirement today by taking any given level of withdrawal rate from your portfolio. The idea is that you can review that on an ongoing basis. So you can track the withdrawal rate, which forms the basis for the relationship between the portfolio and the level of withdrawal that you're making on it. And you set guardrails, right? You know, so if the withdrawal rate rises above a certain level, it must be that the relationship between your portfolio and the amount that you're taking from your portfolio is going in the wrong direction. And so you set a cap, so to speak. So you might say, well, I'm going to start my withdrawal, let's say, on sort of as 5% of my initial portfolio. And then I will review that rate on, on an ongoing basis. If that rate goes above a certain level, let's say, goes above 6% of my portfolio, I'm going to adjust my withdrawal down. 
And I might set a lower guardrail and say, well, if I get to a point where I'm taking below 4% of my um, current balance in any given year, I'm going to review my withdrawal upward. The key is you set guardrails to manage that journey. And this is one of the beauty in timeline. I don't know of any other software in the, in the marketplace, A, that allows you to apply any combinations of, of this strategy, and B, that automatically tracks the journey. Because as you said, we make a decision on day one. It's never a done and forgotten situation. So timeline, we have this feature or functionality that we call live track that automatically pulls the data, the latest valuation, the latest withdrawal from the account and tests the sustainability of the plan on an ongoing basis and sends the advisor actionable alerts to point them to make cost corrections if necessary. I, I think this is the beauty of what, what we can do with technology today. Excellent. Absolutely. So we've gone over uh, Graydon's guardrails, uh, which is a much more intuitive strategy than the 4% rule. Because what we're basically saying is we're going to modify within a range based off of whatever return is relative to withdrawal. So that makes a heck of a lot more sense than a, than a flat number that's a rule. The second one you have is a floor and ceiling rule. You want to explain how that one works? Yes. Yeah, so the floor and ceiling rule, you can think of it in different ways. So you can do a floor and ceiling rule with just how you increase your withdrawal based on inflation, right? So let's say, for instance, that your inflation expectation is 3%. You can do kind of a cap and collar, if you like, and say, well, look, regardless of what happens to inflation, I want to be in a position where my withdrawals will go up by 2% a year, let's say. So you, you set that as the floor. And then you set a cap and you say, well, regardless of what inflation does, I'm never going to increase my withdrawal over and above 5%. So in a very aggressive inflationary environment, you don't increase the withdrawal over and above a certain limit. So you can do that flow and ceiling rule just with inflation or with portfolio performance. And so the Bengen was actually the, the originator of the flow and ceiling rule, but he did it based on portfolio performance. So you set the floor of your withdrawal in inflation-adjusted terms, and then you say, depending on investment performance, if investment returns are higher than this worst-case scenario expectation on which the floor is based, then we can increase our withdrawal over and above that level of floor. And maybe also we can adjust it down. It would never go below that floor that, that we've set. So at the end of the day, you're sending, you're, you're basically saying, I'm happy with this range. I'm happy with this caller. So therefore, but I'm willing to adapt based on market conditions. Absolutely. Yeah. And then of course, uh, you, a uh, friend of the show, Michael Kitsis, you basically utilized his ratcheting rule. Explain how that one works and contrast that to the other ones. Yeah. Again, Michael's rule is, is actually very similar to the Florence Senior rule. So, so Michael says, well, suppose we assume that the 4% rule is based on the worst case scenario. Let's set that as the baseline. Michael says, every three years, let's review the plan. If our portfolio is higher than 150% of where we started or 125% of where we started, the beauty in timelines, you can calibrate this, but you set your own threshold 
So every three years you review the plan and then you say, well, you know, I started with a million dollars in year one. I'm taking 40 grand out of a million dollars. I'm adjusting that with inflation in year three. If my portfolio is now sitting, if I'm now sitting at 1.5 million, it's kind of stupid <laughs> for me to still carry on taking 40 grand a year. I can actually ratchet up my withdrawal and you set the level of ratcheting. So you might say, well, we're going to increase the withdrawal by X percent over and above inflation. So the weakness of the ratcheting rule is that unlike the guardrails, it doesn't, at least in Michael's model, it doesn't allow you for you to ratchet downwards. It just assumes that you set the baseline. Once you increase the withdrawal, it's kind of a permanent increase because the portfolio is so far ahead that it can support that level of withdrawal in the yeah. portfolio. And here's what I like about all of this, right? It's, it's again, we're talking about probabilistic. And you know, I think I get this question all the time too from retirees, which is you know, people are about to retire. It's like, okay, so I have this. I want, I want this amount of money or how much can I afford to spend? And it's it's really not that. My, my response, I always say, like, I want to model the entire thing in a financial plan because instead of picking a number, how will we actually look at what you spend and what your lifestyle looks like? However, even with that, what they're really looking for is deterministic out answers in a probabilistic world. And that's just yeah. not how it works. When, when I look about this approach specifically of using the different factors for how we're going to ratchet up or down or choosing whatever methodology you want to use is that you're coaching them that this is not a deterministic answer. This is a probabilistic one. We have to accept the volatile nature of this. I think you sum it up very well. You know, I like, I'm not sure if you're familiar with, with his work, legendary Nick Maury. Basically, say, I'm paraphrasing now, saying that volatility is the price of the admission into the capital market. It's the price of admission to, into the capital yep. market. We cannot pine for a world without volatility. And I think that we do ourselves a, a disservice as financial planners if we create, this is what these straight line deterministic models do. If we give the client an impression or we reinforce the impression in clients that this is a deterministic journey, it's not. And so all we can do is to bring that, the reality of volatility straight in front of them because they're far better prepared for it. And that goes back into what, why we think in timeline, it's, it's really important not just to calculate the, the success rate at the start of the journey, but also do so as on, on an ongoing basis because we're far, we're far more equipped for it. One other last point that I'm going to make is that the advantage of planning this spending strategy is that we can better prepare clients for these changes that we're likely to make along the way. It's crazy that we give people an impression that they can be facing a 30-year retirement journey and, and yeah. it's all, all, all a straight line. Yeah, it's I'd like to say, asking someone to do that is like shooting an arrow through space and time. Uh, <laughs> you're asking me to hit a target that's 30 years away and you to bullseye it. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, like, yeah. Short of some Doctor Who level technology, that's not going to happen. And that's just not just a UK reference. I watched Doctor Who. <laughs> so the one thing I want to touch on before we wrap up is the client deliverable, which I think is utterly fantastic, by the way, the personalized withdrawal policy statement. Speak to me about what a withdrawal policy statement is and what it tells people. 
Thank you. So I think of withdrawal policy statement as a behavioral mechanism that we can use to guide the client's expectation. And so basically, we've created these things. You can make the withdrawal policy statement as simple as you want, a one-page document, or you can have a far more, maybe a little bit more elaborate um, document. But basically, it will give you the basic inputs, i.e. the client's current asset, their asset allocation, different income that they have, and what they want to withdraw from, from their portfolio. You would also give them a summary of what the withdrawal strategy is, give them sort of an understanding of what kind of market conditions we would need to make changes to their withdrawal and what those withdrawal might, might be broadly. And then you give them an indication of what the success rate and legacy and spending is going to look like. To me, the withdrawal policy statement is like a compass so that when, I like to see it, say, when crap hits the fans, as it did in March, mm-hmm. and we're having this conversation with the clients, the conversation is, is not going to be that, oh gosh, you know, this is a market condition that we haven't anticipated. The conversation is, well, actually, we've modeled this type of market conditions in your financial plan. The question is, what kind of changes did we say that we're going to make? Oh, by the mm-hmm. way, we did agree this in the withdrawal policy statement because you, you agree that we're yep. going to implement the, this strategy. So it's a really, it's, it's a powerful behavioral coaching mechanism that we can adopt with clients in, in retirement. Yeah, I um, I showed the sample template of what you guys did there to my business partner who specializes in specifically dealing with people transitioning into an early stages of retirement. And his exact words is, oh my God, yes, because this is, that is, he deals with it every day. And those are the biggest concerns. If X happens, if something happens, what am I going to do? And you can plan for that. Don't get me wrong. You can plan for that in some financial planning softwares now with scenario analysis. But I think carving it out and having it as a separate single deliverable to say, here's what's going to happen. You're going to take X. Something happens. You're going to stay within these ranges. This is when we trigger these things. This is where the money's coming from. Like just brilliant. Like that. you're specifically speaking to the underlying fear of the client, which is fantastic. So good work there. Thank you. Um, Thank so be- you're very be- Oh, it's, it's well-earned. So uh, before we wrap up, there's three questions I asked everybody just to get you thinking. The first question is, is if you had one wish for something you could change in your company or the industry as a whole, what would it be? That's a very good question. That's a very good question. I feel like I have been on this journey, on this campaign, just to make financial planner globally, right? Not just in the, you know, not just in the UK timelines available to planners in Canada, in in Australia, in the US, just to recognize that there is much, much more that we can do for clients by adopting an evidence-based approach to decumulation. I think if I could wave a magic wand, it will be for everyone to come to sort of the the realization of that fact. I wait for magic wand and make them all actually listen to evidence (laughs) in this industry. That would be the first start. Second question for you, what's been the biggest challenging in the company to where it is today? I think that COVID was, was a challenge for everyone, right? For us as a startup, we were like, like many businesses, we were frankly taken by surprise, this scenario where 
everyone's walking. You didn't have a pandemic button? Really? There was no pandemic button? No, no. Everyone's walking remotely. There is no industry conference, no face-to-face meeting, not just for us, but also for our users, for for financial planners. is a scenario that nobody modeled. We didn't. But the incredible thing is I was massively surprised by how quickly we were able to pivot as a business in the way that we operate. We've always been a global company in our outlook. We have developers all over the place in South America, in Europe, and almost overnight to move the entire team to work remotely was was an incredible achievement. I am really proud by how quickly we were able to pivot, which was a little bit of a challenge for some of our more established competitor, shall we say. So really, really proud of that. And the last question is, what excites you the most about what it is you're working on and gets you up every morning to keep fighting the good fight? I think for me, it's that retirement is a global problem. We're trying to build a global company that solves that. If you look at the U.S. market, I don't know what the data is in in Canada, but if you look at the U.S. Guaranteed worse, continue. (laughs) But if you look at the U.S. market, there is literally 10,000 baby boomers retiring every day. Right. You can do the numbers in terms of how many that would be in a year. We do the same numbers in the UK. There's 400,000 baby boomers reaching the age of retirement every single year. I don't know what the numbers is in Canada and and my apologies for that, but it will be somewhere in the middle. (laughs) Right. right. So this is a global problem. And, And so therefore, I'm really excited that we can bring we can help bring solutions to the market. And that's not even talking about all the other market. We're working with players in Australia, New Zealand, those sort of markets. So I'm really excited by the the sheer size of the opportunity to help people and to make a difference in their life. Excellent. Well, Abraham, thank you so much for taking the time today. Very much appreciate it. Jason, I'm very grateful for your time. Thank you very much. So that was today's episode of FinTech Impact with Abraham of Timeline App. I hope you enjoyed that. And I hope you took a lot of what we talked about to heart. We uh, went into some different methodologies for how to use a mental framework for understanding the accumulation. This is a big and ever-growing concern, as you heard, in terms of just the number of people retiring. And this is going to be a massive central field or central focus of the industry for years to come. So take the time to check out Timeline. And as always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please review in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you your podcast. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca.